Now that Bashul Tootinus left North Carolina A&T, did he just diss his former school? Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Make it locked on HBCU, your first listen of the day, every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off and it will cut off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. You see it at the bottom of the screen. But if you don't, that means you're on the audio side of things. And I thank you for that because I personally am an audio listener. So thank you, audio listeners. Listener. Just don't forget the S on the end, because if you do, I take my thanks away. But, <laughs> but for real, for real, for real, we're wrapping up today's episode with something I think is a little bit interesting. It's a sports psychology ish question. How much do storylines actually impact sports from a player and a fan perspective? Then also Texas Southern and their trenches were the biggest takeaways from their spring game last Saturday, both the offensive and and defensive line performances, but I'm going to start off with a question that I really want to know your answer to. So please tweet me, DM me, tweet it out. I don't care. Answer in the comments, but I really want to know what do you think about Bashul Tootin's comments now that he has left North Carolina A&T? Did he diss the Aggies? My thing about that is I go both ways with it. I'm really kind of, I go back and forth with how do I really feel about Tootin's comments. And I think I've landed on how I feel, but I do know this. I feel like his comments may have been an inadvertent diss, but they most definitely offended some people. And I can't blame anybody for being offended by it. But why am I talking about it like everybody knows the quote already? Had to give a little bit of a preface, but let's read the quote, react to it, and then actually say if it was a diss or not. So the quote that Bashul Tootin has, now that he has left North Carolina A&T, and he's in the ACC with Virginia Tech, he said, I just had to go FCS and make it work. Now I'm power five. Simple sentence. Simple sentence. And I'll be honest with you. I think there's a lot of people still at HBCUs who feel that way. There's a lot of people still at HBCUs who say the best of the best talent has been recruited by the FBS. I'm one of the best players in the country. I deserve to play on the FBS level with these other guys. I don't think that's a rare thought, even with guys who are still in HBCU locker rooms. And we've seen it, guys who excel at an HBCU, an FCS for real. It's not just an HBCU thing, but this is locked on HBCU. We've seen that, and then they go to the FBS level. So we've seen this storyline before. That's segment three, though. Storyline, storyline, storylines. Let's keep it here. I'm going to take it a step further. I think there's a certain section of people who are in denial and believe this, too. Now, some people just openly say it. But don't cut me off because you might not even be a part of this, right? Because first off, I understand the idea that there is talent everywhere. If, they're, if you're good, they'll find you. I, I've heard it all. But I'm not talking to you if you say those things. I'm talking to the person who, when they see a player either out of high school decide 
they don't want to go to an HBCU. They'd rather go to an FBS school. Or you see an HBCU player who transfers to an FBS school. I hear this rhetoric. Little fish in a big pond. You're going to get lost in the shuffle. I hate those narratives. If you believe it, you believe it. That's fine. But I'm going to tell you what I hear when I hear you say that. I hear that you don't actually believe in the HBCU prospects that are being recruited. You don't actually think that they're good enough. Because if you did, you wouldn't be talking about a little fish in a big pond. You drop a killer whale in a pond or you drop a killer whale in an ocean, he's still a killer whale. That's still a big joke. Like that's still a player who is going to be exceptionally talented. So if you actually believed in it, why would you even put something out there like you're going to get lost in a shuffle? You're going to be a little fish in a big pond. Do you not believe that HBCU players, when they go up a level, will be able to compete? Or are you just being spiteful and wishing bad on that player because they left a college that you liked? I really hope that it's the former. I can really deal with you feeling like they can't perform. But just wishing spite or wishing bad and being spiteful on a kid who made a decision he thinks is best for him? That says more about you. Now, hopefully... That's not how you feel. But I'm telling you what I internalize. And if you mean something different, let me know in the comments. I'm always open for a discussion about it. Actually, you should probably tweet me or DM me about that one. You should probably tweet me or DM me. If, if you feel like that's your thought process, but that's not what you're trying to say. Because I want to, I want to accept something different. But here's the thing. Was it a diss? Inadvertently, I think so. Because I think that the group that he's speaking to probably felt disrespected. I don't think people without HBCU ties felt disrespected by the comment, not because of how they view HBCUs, but because they have no personal tie to it. But when you're a North Carolina A&T fan, specifically the Aggies, when you're a North Carolina A&T fan and one of your players essentially says that he used you as a stepping stool, you were just a part of the process. I mean, nobody wants to hear that they were being used. And that's essentially what Tootin said. Now, I don't fault him because I understand the thought process, and I'll get to that in a second, why I think it was inadvertent and wasn't actually intentional. But who really wants to hear, yeah, I had to do that first before I got here. You were really just a means to an end. So why it wasn't intentionally disrespectful, I 100% understand how somebody could be offended by it. I'm not an Aggies fan, so I probably don't have enough of a tie-in to really believe or feel if offended by it. But I'll tell you what, when I look at the psyche I don't know how old Tootin is, but let's just say he's 20 because there's a lot of players who are in that range, right? Let's just say he's 20, 21 years old. A lot of players grow with aspirations to play on an FBS level. Let's remember that. A lot of players grow up with the aspiration to play on an FBS level. Do you think just because they didn't make it out of high school that those aspirations all of a sudden stop? For some, I'm just going to go to who recruited me. They didn't want me back then. They don't get me now. Okay. But for some, I'm sitting there like I always wanted to play on an SEC level. I've always wanted to play on an ACC level. Let's use the ACC because that's where Virginia Tech is. I don't think that switch just clicks off because he had to go to North Carolina A&T first. He felt like he was deserving of playing on a Power 5 uh, level. Then he felt like he proved it. So then he went. I understand the psychology, and I know I said sports psychology is segment three, but I understand the psychology and what's really going through Bashul Tootin's mind. And I don't fault him or any other kid who thinks that way and acts on that thought. I really don't. So what is the, the way to fight back? It's something that we've been doing. You have, to, you have to point out the fact that you can make it at any level, that HBCUs deserve your talent, 
And you have to continue reinforcing this with high school athletes. It has to be high school athletes that push this charge. That's my opinion. It can't just be transfers. Because as long as you're getting transfers, you're getting guys who did not choose you first. Like, and, and most times they're not moving down for the greatest of reasons. Because whether we want to admit it or not, this is a literal fact. FBS to FCS, FBS is the higher subdivision. So most of them are either viewing it as moving down or they have to do it. it it's, it's, it's one of the two, right? You have to make it to where more talent chooses the FCS. You have to make it to where more talent chooses the HBCUs. That's what you have to fight against. Don't tell me that you're going to get lost in a shuffle when you go to an Alabama. I hate that rhetoric. To me, that reinforces an inferiority complex. But what doesn't reinforce that complex is saying that you can make it anywhere. It's showing the value of an HBCU. I don't want you to show a value of an HBCU by dissing another school. I want you to show the value of an HBCU by an HBCU by just pumping up that HBCU. It's not a difficult thing to do. And if you can't do it, I suggest you just sit there and you watch what happens because you are not doing HBCUs a service by telling players on an HBCU level they could not compete on an FBS level. What do you think, though? Do you think Bashul Tootin was dissing North Carolina A&T? I think he still has love for the Aggies. I just think he always knew where he wanted to be like Donnell Jones. But it's up for you to respond to me. Now, going forward, we're going to talk about Texas Southern, my alma mater, because they had their spring game last Saturday. And one of the biggest takeaways or two of the biggest takeaways, I should say, were in the trenches, the offensive line and the defensive line. Let's talk about these two units and how they were so opposite as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the number one protein bar on the market. And one of these units that we are talking about in the segment going forward, they actually ate their Built Bars because they performed well. And you'll know who it is when I talk about them. But I wonder what flavor that they chose. Did they go with the puffs? Did they go with the originals, right? Did you go s'mores, maybe blueberry? I love those. Did you go raspberry? That's a little bit unique for me. It's not one that I typically eat but i did try it one time and i thought it was all right now my thing about built bar is when you go to built.com you can get the pro you can use the promo code lock 15 and get 15 percent off your offer but instead of going to built.com immediately maybe you want it right now it's my built bars and i need it now then go to walmart go to sam's club get you a four pack get you a 13 pack get you something immediately but if you can be patient if you can wait you can hold off then just go ahead and go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your offer. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. If you make it all the way to segment three, which I really hope that you are, you're going to get a little treat, a little sports psychology-esque question. It's something that is a little bit different than what we typically do on the show. So it's a little treat for those who make it to segment three. But segment two is about these trenches at Texas Southern. Those were the biggest takeaways from what I was able to hear. I wasn't able to make it out there. But from what I was able to hear about TSU's spring game last Saturday, that's one of the bigger conversation points. The offensive line didn't look good. The defensive line did look good. Now, one thing you have to understand about the trenches is that's kind of like the heartbeat of a team. When many people view team building, they look at the offensive line as the heartbeat. It's not the sexiest position, so it's often not the face. That's not often where your stars are. 
sometimes the defensive line, especially with a defensive end or an edge player, you know, most defensive tackles don't get shined. You know, like casual fans, I don't know if, how many defensive tackles deep in the NFL that you're really talking about. Edge rushers, you get more of a shine. That's a premier position. People talk about it a lot. But offensive line, even the best left tackles don't get discussed often. Just not a sexy position to discuss. But it's often a heartbeat because to a lot of teams, I can't succeed if my offensive line or defensive line is poor. And, of course, we've seen teams do it. I look at the Cincinnati Bengals from two years ago, kind of the Cincinnati Bengals from this year, but they got that together. They got to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line. But you know what cost them that Super Bowl? The bad offensive line. How many times do you hear if Joe Burrow just had one more second, he would hit Jamar Chase and they would be raising up a Lombardi trophy? We see the importance of an offensive line. Look at Kansas City three years ago, right? Not the one they just won, but two, their appearance before that, the one Super Bowl that Mahomes lost. The offensive line was decimated, so they could do nothing with Tampa Bay's defensive line. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles from this year. They were so talented because of their trenches. The offensive line and defensive line were great. Jalen Hurts got his money. It was important, 100%. However, that offensive and defensive line really was the heartbeat of that team. So I say all this just to illustrate the importance of an offensive and defensive line. And I know I spent the most of it talking about the offensive line and how poor offensive line play can hamper you. But that's exactly what I'm afraid of when it comes to Texas Southern. They said that the offensive line was bad and the defensive line was good. And I think I'd rather it be switched if I couldn't have them both be good. Now, I know I came on here just, what, a week and a half ago saying that Texas Southern needs to find a defensive identity and being a good defense line was important in that. And I don't walk that back. I don't make a U-turn on that topic. I'll revisit it because it is the truth. But if the defensive line was poor, then maybe the, the linebackers could cover up for it in the run game. Maybe you do have some coverage that can... I'm not saying they're just absolutely garbage. They had to improve. But if they were just bad instead of terrible, they were just average instead of terrible, then maybe you would rather have that be the defensive line because I have people who can cover that up. Meanwhile, I've seen a bad offensive line destroy Texas Southern's offense. In the past, I've seen it, even with a mobile quarterback. I remember when Devin Williams was there. I remember when DeAndre Johnson was there, right? That doesn't feel like his name is right. But anyway, he was there. I remember him. He was the guy from Last Chance U. I remember when those players were there, the offensive line was poor and it didn't get it didn't allow anything to get going at all. I don't want to see that again because Texas Southern's offense is run dominant. Texas Southern's offense is a offense that wants to run it down your throat. They have Andrew Body who can run the ball. They have some running backs who can run the ball. That's how they want to get active. And to me, an offensive line, a good offensive line is more important than quality runners when trying to have an effective running game. If your offensive line can't block, I don't care who it is, unless he's like Barry Sanders, and most running backs are not Barry Sanders. I don't care who he is. If your offensive line is not blocking, your running game is not going to be good. And of course, your passing game is going to struggle because you don't have any time. You don't have any time to really get into your offense. You don't have time to really get a third and 16. That's a punt. You punting. Because you don't have an offensive line that can protect you enough for your wide receivers to get downfield. I saw that with the Cowboys versus Vikings game this year. They had so many downfield concepts, but not enough time to really execute any of them. And that's why the offense was so poor that day. But maybe I'm bringing in too many sports that aren't this. This is just examples. But I'm looking at the defensive line because the offensive coordinator did say that maybe some thinness, right? You don't have a lot of depth. 
might have impacted the conditioning. Well, I'll say this for the offensive line, OC Marsh. You got to have those guys prepared to have the proper conditioning. You just have to be five deep. Of course, you don't want to get injured, but you have to start off in ensuring that you have five offensive linemen, not five deep, but five across, right? You need a tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle. That's what you need. And you just got to hope them guys have enough conditioning to still be able to play well. But he did also give credit to the defensive line. Now, there's always this situation where the offensive line could have looked bad because the D-line is that good, or the D-line could have looked good because the offensive line is that bad. But I'm going to operate with the idea that they are who they showed us going forward because that's way more easy to really talk about. It's way less difficult to project. I'm just going to say that the D-line is good. The offensive line isn't. But the D-line was something they invested in in the offseason. And of course, you always want to see investment or return on your investment. That's obvious. But at the same time, this was imperative. If Texas Southern didn't see return on this investment, if Texas Southern didn't walk into 2023 with a better defensive line, I think their, their defense was going to struggle again. But now that you have pressure on the quarterback, now that you have the ability to not allow those offensive lines to just dominate you, it's a trickle-up effect because you're, you're at the bottom, so you don't trickle down. But you're at the trickle-up effect because if as, you're, as a defensive lineman, you can hold offensive linemen in the running game, A, that closes gaps, but B, and maybe most importantly, for the rest of the players on your defense— it allows your linebackers to flow because if your defensive line is bad and they're, they're getting pushed out of the way and discarded, now you have offensive linemen who are running free to the second level of your linebackers. And now you're forcing your linebackers to shed blocks. But what you actually want is for your defensive linemen, if they aren't making the tackle, of course, you want them to hold those defensive linemen up or those offensive linemen up so that your linebackers can have free run to the, to the running back. That's what you want. You don't want offensive linemen getting to the second level. You don't want your offensive linemen touching your linebackers. Well, a good defensive line will prohibit, or I hate the word prohibit, but I meant to say prevent. A good defensive line will prevent that from happening. And then if they're getting pressure on the quarterback, your corners like Perry Wells doesn't have to cover as long. I'm taking that. It's a trickle-up effect. A great defensive line, a good defensive line, is going to make this defense so much better than it was last year. Somebody said TSU is never above average. And that was funny. I see what you're saying. That was funny. But a good defensive line can make that joke no longer true. I just hope that the offensive line picks it up too. But I'm happy about one of the two being good. Let's just get both of them good. Come on. Let's hit that transfer portal and get some offensive alignment if that's what we need, whether it's depth or starters. Come on, TSU. Come on, TSU, because this is your year. This is everybody's year, but this is your year. Now, going forward, we're going to wrap it up talking about a sports psychology question. We're going to answer that. How much do storylines play a part in sports in general? We'll answer this question as we continue with Locked on HBCU. And as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making it your first listen of the day, every day, making it all the way to segment three. Not only do I thank you two times for that, I have a little treat for you, and it's something that I'm going to try to do more. This is a treat for all of my family who makes it to segment three. I thank you for that deeply, and I want to have these type of bigger than HBCU athletics conversations. And for me, this is how much does sports, or excuse me, how much do storylines play a part in sports? This question came up because I heard somebody say that the mass public, 
just people in general, not specifically, this might not be you, but just most people, they'd rather see a Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook series than a Kevin Durant versus LeBron James series. Now, first off, I think the idea that we're boiling down these series that are clearly between teams, and this is not a tennis match, this is not boxing, this is not UFC, this is a team sport. I think the fact that we're boiling down to one player versus one player already enforces the fact that storylines are extremely important to us. But the point of that question was, do you want to see two former teammates face off against each other in a possible seven game series? Or do you want to see two of the best players of this generation face off against each other for a possible seven game series? And the answer was that most people probably want to see KD versus Russ. And I don't think they're wrong. I don't because that storyline is juicy. That's what people want to talk about. Ooh, what's, what's the beef? Is there still problems with KD and Russ? What's going on? When they were John in game two, I know people were sitting there licking their fingers, eating it up because that's what they wanted to see. They didn't want to see KD and, and his Euro step versus LeBron James looking at the ball, spinning and popping the shot. No, that's not what they wanted to see. If they had a choice, they would enjoy it. There's a storyline within that, of course. But at the same time, that's not the storyline that two former friends who have a perceived long-term beef really have. That's not, it doesn't have the same appeal. So I've come to the conclusion that not only do we enjoy storylines in sports, storylines are the driving force in how we enjoy sports. Now, of course, we love greatness. We love our team. I'm not going to sit here and say that we don't love the show. I'm not saying it's all storylines. If that was the case, we'd all be watching All-American every single Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. What I'm saying is this isn't a TV show, but we have TV shows about it. And what are those TV shows often breaking down? Storylines. How often do you go to a first take and see? Now they do it. Dan Orlovsky does a good job. He does do the, the X's and O's. I see it mostly on NFL Live. But the point is, that's not the majority of content that you see. But I just don't want anybody trying to sit here and tell me that, well, they do it sometimes. I know they do it sometimes. But most times you're not breaking down the X's and O's. Most times you're not sitting there talking about the offensive line scheme. Most times you're not talking about the quarterback going through his first, second, and third read. You're looking at storylines. And that's okay because that's what most people want to talk about. When you're sitting there talking to your friends, you're not sitting here talking about the ins and outs of cover three. You're not talking about the different schemes that D'Amico Ryans pulled out when he was there with the San Francisco 49ers. You're not doing that. But what you are talking about is the fact that the Houston Texans have a poor history of black head coaches and not really giving them a chance. So now D'Amico Ryans going to a team he used to play for. But as a black head coach, can he break this stigma? We think he is. But that's a storyline. Matter of fact, storylines keep the conversation going during the offseason. We have months of offseason. A month after the draft, there's nothing to really talk about. You're sitting there in the middle of June. You want to really sit here and talk about off-season workouts? Probably not. You probably don't. But what you will want to talk about, if it hasn't happened yet, is Lamar Jackson and his contract situation. Jalen Hurts just got the bag, okay? Jalen Hurts just got over $50 million in new money per year. Shout out to my dad because he always wants to emphasize new money versus the existing year on the contract. He got over $50 million in new money. You know what that conversation reverted to eventually, not immediately, but eventually, well, what's going on with Lamar? How does this compare to the contract that the Ravens gave Lamar or offered Lamar? Does this impact what Lamar is going to get from the Ravens in the future? 
because storylines are the driving force. That is the driving heartbeat. That is the heartbeat of the NFL offseason, Lamar Jackson and whether or not he's going to be paid. Almost everything comes back to it. Odell gets signed. Does that mean that Lamar is staying? Anything that can be connected to Lamar or the Ravens comes back to Lamar or the Ravens. Daniel Jones getting his money. What about them? The potential contract for Joe Burrow and Jalen, not Jalen Hurts, uh, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert comes back to Lamar. It's the driving force, but it's a storyline. We're not talking about the ins and outs. We're not even talking so much about the fact that they have a new offensive coordinator and how will Lamar fit in the scheme? That's a question. That's an important talking point. Now, of course, here on the Locked On Podcast Network, we do more than storylines, but I'm just saying that's the driving force. That's what people want to hear. I'm not going to sit in here and just break down linebacker play every single episode because that's not what the majority of people want to hear. And it's not just fans. It's players, too. When you look at players, Michael Jordan and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, because I can't find record of this, but I know I heard this during the last dance. I just don't remember the episode or anything of the sort. Michael Jordan once told the media that a opposing player trash talked him just to motivate himself, just to come out after they played again and say that opposing player never trash talked him. Do you understand how mentally psychotic it is to tell the media a lie to motivate yourself privately? Storylines matter. A lot of players are going to down, downplay it. Nah, it's just another game. If a player said it's just another game 10 times, I might believe him three. It's never just another game, in my opinion. I believe in bulletin board material. I believe that players are self-motivated, but they do take any chance that they get to be motivated even more. And it's not always as simple as, oh, we're facing a former teammate or maybe I'm facing my former team. It's not always that kind of bad blood. Those are things that we look for. Those are things that we promote because why? We like storylines. It could be, I don't know, it could be a situation where Randy Moss was passed up by the Cowboys and that's where he thought he was going to go. So he's going to drop three touchdowns and three catches on your head. Maybe that's what it is. But the idea that players don't get motivation from external sources is not true. And a lot of times that external source is a storyline. So for fans, it allows us to engage with the game on a deeper level than just watching for the 60 minutes or really three and a half hours if we're talking about actual time. But the 60 minutes of gameplay, it allows us something to engage with on days when games aren't happening. For players, a lot of times it gives an extra level of motivation for players. It gives them something to pump them up a little bit more getting into the game. It just does. That's why look at, the, for example, let's look at fans one last time before we go. I think they make you care. Storylines make you care about the story. That's why rivalries that haven't been competitive in a decade still get love. They still get a lot of shine. That's why you care about Jackson State versus FAMU week one. Both of those teams could be hot garbage next year. You don't know. You don't know at all. But week one. You're looking at, oh, Jackson State, FAMU, even a completely remodeled Jackson State, even a FAMU that's lost their best offensive and best defensive player. You're still looking at them like, oh, that might be the game we have to look out for. But let TSU and UAPB play on week one. You don't care because you don't look at UAPB as a threat. And you might not look at TSU as a threat. You'd be wrong for that, but you might not look at TSU as a threat. Those storylines lead to us to care about early games. Dallas or excuse me, Texas Rangers versus the Houston Astros, that battle of Texas. It's a storyline. I could go on and on with examples, but the point is storylines play a part in the enjoyment of the game for sport or for fans. And then it also gives a little extra motivation, though they try to deny it for players. But in your personal opinion, how big of a deal are storylines in sports? To me, it's the driving force. 
Now, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. On tomorrow's episode, I'm two episodes into J.R. Smith's documentary, and I'm enjoying the publicity that is giving him his story, but then also North Carolina A&T. So we'll react to that documentary. It's only two more episodes for me. So I'll knock that out and talk about it on tomorrow's episode. Now, I appreciate you for making us for your first listen of the day every day. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.